Today, I am delighted to welcome a friend and colleague, Dr. Anna Heller, who serves as the Bruce A. Beal Director of the Rollins Museum of Art. Anna has been in this role since 2012 and has done an amazing job of growing and leading the museum. Before joining Rollins, Anna was Executive Director of Mobia, the Museum of Biblical Art in New York City. Anna, welcome to Rollins Around Town, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, you have such a unique and interesting background, and um, you grew up in Romania and attended college there. Maybe sort of start there. Like, what was uh, what was what was life like for you growing up and, and school in Romania? Oh gosh. Uh, so this was before the Iron Curtain came down. So Romania was a communist country, and. So with that came a lot of, uh, let's say, just difference. Yeah. Um, but in terms of schooling, I'll, I'll say that the education was free and the education was very good, yeah. albeit isolated. So we did not have a lot of contact with, uh, say, foreign uh, scholarship mm -hmm. and and uh, news and information because everything was censored by the state, but we got a very solid education in terms of you know uh, traditional um, liberal arts. I went to a special high school that was uh, specialized in um, the humanities and languages and history. So uh, I, I think I got a great basic foundation. Um, the frame of mind was very different. Yeah. And there was, as I said, a lot of censorship and there was a lot of uh, interpretation and um, not not a whole lot of freedom. Yeah. Was there a, a, a moment or a time, do you remember, when art became you and you became art? Yes, uh, very early on. Um, I remember my first love was actually ballet, and my mom would take me to ballet classes when I was, I guess I started when I was about four. And next to the school, there was an art gallery, and often we would be early and we would go inside the art gallery. And my mom tells me that even then I had very, I was very opinionated <laughs> about, you know, what I liked or what I considered good and not good. And I have no idea what I was talking about, obviously, nor do I remember much of it. But what I do remember, and, and that's why I like to tell the story, what I do remember is that even back then, I just loved to be in the presence of art. Mm. And I loved to talk about it, although I didn't know anything about it. So uh, later on, it just, was an, kind of an obvious choice for me to study that. My mom had a very extensive art library in the house, and mm -hmm. so we grew up to, to going to museums and galleries, and uh, I never, ever really considered doing anything else, which is weird. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so after college, you, you went directly to uh, the Institute of Fine Arts at NYU for your master's and PhD. Was there any, was there any gap time between college and Yes, because we came to New York. Okay. The whole family moved to New York. And, um, you know, by the time we got here, the deadline to you know apply for the next for the following academic year had passed. Um, so I worked for a year and a half before I started before I started school. And of course, by the time we arrived here, everybody tried to convince me that 
you know, art history is really a folly and maybe I should do something <laughs> where I can have a real career and get a real job. But um, seem to have worked through that. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and so you're at the – we'll skip part of, part of it. You have such an impressive background and I don't want to shortchange you, but anybody can look you up on LinkedIn if they're so interested. But um, uh, you've got your master's, you've got your PhD, a mm-hmm. couple – different jobs and lectures. Uh, now you're at the Museum of Biblical Art. And how how did Rollins come your way? How did, the, the at the time, the Cornell Fine Arts Museum come, come your way? Yeah, so I had been at Mobia for a while. I was their first director. And Mobia was a fascinating museum, but it was a museum without a collection, a little bit counterintuitive. <laughs> it's what we call a Kunsthalle. So we only did temporary exhibitions with works on loan from other museums, collections, individuals, etc. And although at first that was really interesting because every four months you would learn something entirely new and and you had a very wide um, field to play with, after a while it got a little tiresome. Um, I had worked at museums, traditional museums with collections, and I was really missing the opportunity to have a solid collection that I could sink my teeth into, that I could research, and and that that would offer the museum that I was working for the continuous and cohesive strategy. And that was one thing. The other thing was I missed being on a campus. I had taught for a little while before I went to work in museums full time, and I really missed that. So I thought at the time that an academic museum, a museum on a campus of a college or university would bring those two things together. Mm -hmm. And so when a call came about the, the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, I came to check it out and the rest, as they say. <laughs> right. Is history. So talk about the difference between an academic museum and, and a, quote, regular museum. Is that even a fair question? Yeah, no, that's a very fair question, and that's that's one of those uh, questions that a lot of people wonder about because um, there's – most people, I would say, don't necessarily realize how different an academic art museum functions compared to a public art museum. I mean, obviously, we all have the same overall mission to engage with art, to research, to exhibit, etc., but in – a campus setting, there's the teaching mission is much more central and guides the decisions of the museum in a very different way. Um, we serve both the campus and the community, and most academic art museums do that. But our selection of exhibitions, our uh, criteria for acquisitions, our programmatic decisions are always tied to the overall ethos, I sh- should say, of, of the Rollins education. Right. We work very closely with faculty and students because we want to engage them. So we have curricular connections. We have relationships where faculty and students work with us to create those exhibitions and those programs. And I think the wonderful thing of a museum like ours in a community like Winter Park and Orlando, where there aren't 2,000 different museums the way they were in New York, is that we can bring that that specific mission and that attention to 
uh, engaging with complicated questions and, um, and, you know, foster critical thinking and connect different disciplines, we can bring all of that to the general public as well. Very cool. It was one of my questions. You sort of touched on it, but it was, you know, to, to sort of learn more about the role the museum plays with students and faculty, I guess both non art and art history majors, but also the campus in general, and maybe in, in specifically with art and art history curriculum. Yes, yeah, so that's that's a, another general misconception that because we're an art museum, we only serve the art and art history students, and certainly we do. We have special capstone courses for both the art majors and the art history majors, by the time they graduate, they will have taken one of those, and which are taught in the museum. So in the case of the art majors, they get to be part of an exhibition in the museum, which happens in their last month of school before graduation. And, and that includes a year-long preparation of, you know, how do you prepare your work? You're, you're an artist now. How do you prepare your work for exhibition in a professional museum with everything that it entails? And with the selection process, the art history students get involved in the mechanics of creating, of curating an exhibition. So from selecting a theme to selecting the works of art that go in to research, writing, didactics, and so forth. So that's specifically for them. But we work with faculty from, I want to say, pretty much all the different disciplines at Rollins who bring their students. And because so much of our collection um, fits in with a lot of the overall themes that are of interest in a, in a liberal arts education, we have so much that art that talks to the environment, that talks to uh, social political issues, mm -hmm. that talks to social justice, et cetera. And so we, we have selections of works that fit within the curricula of several, uh, of many different courses. One year pre-pandemic, we had 180 class visits wow. to the museum in just one academic year. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So obviously an important role for the, for the students uh, and the college. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the memberships, right? The, the, the museum has memberships. It's a great way to get the community members aware, involved, access to. Uh, what, what, what does that look like for community members who want to get uh, more aware of and get more access to the museum? Sure. Um, we pride ourselves for being the only museum that does not charge an admission fee to come in. And uh, so really, the museum is open to everybody. You don't have to be a member, you don't have to contribute to be able to take part uh, in our exhibitions and our programs. We don't charge for our programs either. Um, obviously, these are not free, they're sponsored. Um, and we work really hard to um, attract and, and sustain those those sponsorships. But if if for people who want to be members and be closer to the museum, there are special programs that are for, for members only. There are um, advanced registrations to trips that we, we take um, with uh, me or some of the staff. Uh, there are other different forums where they can participate, but largely we consider membership the help for from our community so we can keep the museum free for everybody. Yeah, that's great. You just opened a new exhibit last week, two weeks ago? 
Uh, we opened six new exhibits. Six new exhibits, yes, all right. over the last weekend. Do tell. So every gallery's uh, been changed. And as we always try, we have a sort of a, a couple of overarching themes that work through the different exhibitions while each each of them is distinctive. So we always try to show art that comes from different parts of the world or encompasses different themes while at the same time uh, connect the themes in a way that is that is coherent. So we have um, a, ve- a major for us exhibition that reinterprets our American art collection. We had a three-year research grant from the Luce Foundation in New York, and that gave us the opportunity to hire somebody to do very in-depth research on our entire American art collection, which is something extraordinary, and we digitized it. And this particular exhibition is one of the capstones, so to speak, of that project. And it's looking at 20th century modernism, or as the exhibition title um, has it, modernisms, because there's more than one. And and trying to correct that very linear and reductive narrative of the 20th century that said, you know, there's only one way to evolve. And uh, you know, this ism begets this ism, this ism, and it's a very sort of you're either in it or you're not. Mm-hmm. And today and for the last, you know, couple of decades, really, art historians have started to look very hard at telling a more inclusive story of art and seeing who was left behind or who was left out of the narrative because it, he or she most often did not necessarily conform to those linear progressions that some important critics had created. So that's one exhibition that shows the the variety of what we have in the 20th century. We have an exhibition, um, two contemporary artists connected with Puerto Rico, Frances Gallardo and Nathan Budoff, one of whom was born, Frances was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and Nathan lives there now. And their works, uh, contemporary artists, and their works have to do with the impact of environmental change mm. on life in the Caribbean and particularly in, um, in Puerto Rico. We have another exhibition that highlights for the first time of our fledgling collection of uh, artists' books. And that is something we're really proud of because it's a collaboration with the Olin Library and Archives here on campus and with the art department. Artists' books are just this amazing, uh, extraordinarily diverse field. Um, Deborah Prosser, who is the um, uh, head of our library here and who is a very uh, important force behind this uh, particular collection, as is Rachel Simmons, professor of art. They were saying that the way we define uh, artist books, if the artist says it's a book, it's a book. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're books that take the, the traditional form of the book, but a lot of them are very sculptural. They create a different type of engagement, and they're very uh, tied to critical issues that happen today. So they're of a lot of interest to our students and faculty. And so we're showing a selection from that collection. We are also showing an exhibition that is connected with the common read. So this is another way in which we create those connections with our students, the common read being a selection of texts that all our freshmen have to engage with in their first semester. So we include in that selection works of art and that is in the front gallery, the, the theme this year being activism and allyship. 
And finally, we have an exhibition, a selection from our, our old masters collection, because we realized that most of the galleries were showing contemporary and modern art. So, oh. and we are the only museum in Greater Orlando to have older European art, and particularly old masters painting. And so we have a, an exhibition that talks about the legends of the saints as literary sources mm-hmm. for um, painting in, you know, Christian painting through the centuries. Fascinating. What a great, uh, rich, diverse collection. That's, that's so awesome. Yes. So just recently, you led a pretty significant change at the museum. Uh, you and your team uh, uh, led a kind of a rebrand, if you will, and it's certainly a renaming from the Cornell Fine Art Museum to the Rollins Museum of Art. Why the change? Many different reasons. Um, one, because I think the most important, uh, because Rollins has always been our brand. So we feel that the name represents who we are in a much more direct way. As I was saying before, we are proud that the museum has become an integral part of a Rollins education. And so we might as well signal that through the name. Um, The the evolution or the growth that we have experienced over the last um, almost a decade now, where we have indeed engaged much in a much more uh, uh, direct and powerful way with our campus, we wanted to reflect that. But there's also another reason um, the, we are in the middle of a capital campaign that will lead to a new building for the museum, a larger building for the museum off campus in the heart of Winter Park. And so we felt that as we advance uh, on that road, it is important that we signal very clearly that even if we move off campus, we will continue to be the teaching museum for Rollins College. Love that. So the museum, uh, the new location at the Lawrence Center, which is a, a piece of property that the, the college owns right uh, just to the west of uh, the Alfond Inn, uh, that will be the home for a new uh, Rollins Museum of Art and, and some of the uh, operations and uh, rooms for the Crummer Graduate School of Business. An amazing project called Innovation Triangle, for those who don't know, uh, with the three points, of course, being the museum, the business school, and the hotel. Um, why, why will this be so good for Winter Park? So I think the main challenge for both for us who work at the museum and for the Winter Park and Orlando community has been all these years the fact that the museum is not accessible. Yeah. It's theoretically accessible. Like I said, we're open and free and all of that. But it's, it's not the type of museum that you can just happen upon. Right. You have to know that it's here at the end of campus and come here, make time to make it a destination. When it's in the middle of town, when it's across the street from the Alphand Inn, it will be the type of cultural venue that you can just walk past and want to go in. It'll be part of the fabric of the city and will become so much more accessible. And, and talk about the connectivity between the Alphand Inn and the museum, obviously the direct relationship that the two entities have. Oh, absolutely. I, the the Alphand collection that's been growing since the Alphand Inn opened back in 2013 has been, I think, the single most important f- 
factor in in our growth and in this uh, new campus-wide strategy to elevate the museum and um, raise the money for a bigger building because having so much of the contemporary art collection at the Alphand Inn gave us a taste in a way of what it would mean to be in the middle of the community how we could change the uh, type of engagement that we create and the relationship that the community will have to our collection when it's there, when it's visible, when it's available. And I think it also showed, and, and very happily for us, that there's a huge appetite for contemporary art in our community. And for contemporary art, that's difficult, not you know just kind of easy, pleasant, uh, aesthetically beautiful art. Our collection asks hard questions. It, it engages with difficult issues. And people are just attracted to it. And what we have noticed is that there's this transition from what I call a casual looker to a um, steady museum goer. We have now people coming to the museum because of what they saw at the Alphand Inn. Yeah. Well, that's going to be made so much easier when we're across the street. The, the collection, right? Everyone talks about the collection. How big is our collection and how much is shown and how much isn't? Um, our collection is about 5,800 works of art and uh, about 900 of those have been added in the time that I've been here. Uh -huh. So that's a 20% growth. So it's, it's a significant collection for yeah. a museum our size. So at any given time, if you add what we show in the museum and at the Alphand Inn, we show about 2, 2.5% of the collection. Mm. So clearly a very, very small. <laughs> and, you know, this is common for a lot of museums, but I think it's, it's even smaller than most museums I know. And we want to be able to show a significantly larger portion of yeah. the collection. One thing I love about the Innovation Triangle Project is sort of on a community level. Um, Winter Park is often known and referred to as the city of arts and culture. And to have the Morse Museum at one end of Park Avenue, to have the Rollins Museum of Art at the other end, and the Pulaski Sculpture Museum just, you know, um, a couple hundred yards away, that's pretty rich for a community. For a community our size, absolutely. And the city... Uh, obviously is very proud of it being a city of arts and culture. We get a lot of support from from the city of Winter Park. And I think it's it's wonderful when it will be even more wonderful when we're able, like you say, to, you know, take a stroll between these these important venues. And what I love the most about our location, other than being so close to the Alphand Inn and affording us some conversations that right now are a little more difficult, um, is the proximity to the train station. Yes. So you can come on the train from wherever and and just stroll down Park and New England and get to the museum. That's fantastic. So as the director of the museum, if you could have your sort of snap your fingers and it comes true moment, um, what what would that be? I mean, and, and let's assume that the that you know the fundraising will happens and everything stays on course. There is is there anything else that really uh, inspires you, or that you and your team have sort of on your radar that you just desperately want? Yes. So I think that the opportunity to build a new museum and rethink the way in which you one the team installs the 
collection and creates a programmatic strategy for the museum is quite extraordinary under any circumstance. But what I am particularly excited about is the fact that because of the unfortunate things that have been happening in our society in the last two years, there's been a real reckoning in the field of museums. And so it's one of those very kind of milestones in the history of museums, I think, where my generation has a chance to completely rethink what museums do, mm. how they serve, who they serve. And so I think that's, you know, the next five to 10 years are going to be crucial in that rethinking. And to me, it's really exciting to be part of that change as, as a museum leader. And hopefully, if we do our jobs right, museums in 10 years will be a little bit different than they have been so far. That's interesting. Is there collaboration within and between and amongst all of the, the museum directors in Central Florida? There is some. Um, there's more active. There are more active conversations at the national level, mm. which are extremely interesting. We are part of the Association of Art Museum Directors, which is a leadership organization for the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and it's 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 extremely prestigious. That's been one of my career dreams um, to be part of that, and we. The museum and I became members about three years ago. And so ever since the pandemic hit, there have been extensive conversations about this among all of us. And so I am particularly active in a subset of academic museums within the Association of Art Museum Directors. And we're all really trying to put our brains together to see how we can become better museums in the future. Fantastic. How, how many people come to the museum on an annual basis? I told you you didn't have to prepare for the meeting, so if you don't have the exact number. Oh, but I do. Uh, but I bet you might. So, <laughs> so um, when I first came here in 2012, we had about 10,000 people. Yeah. And pre-pandemic, uh, we had about 50. That's amazing. And, and we think that once we move to the new location, we can easily double that. Yeah. Any sense or what, 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 what is the breakdown of that 50,000? In other words, particularly how many are from out of market? Uh, you mean who don't live here? Correct, yeah. Uh, we have a significant number um, of, of tourists who come primarily through the Alphand Inn, but also through the boat tour. Yeah. We love the boat tour. <laughs> they refer so many people to the museum. So uh, percentage-wise, um, I would think probably about 20% or so that's great. are from elsewhere. Yeah, that's so fantastic. How has Orlando changed? I mean, I'm sure when you came here from New York, <laughs> um, to some degree, you had to look at Orlando and just say, this is not an art town. This is not an art community. Um, how has it evolved over the, what is it, almost 10 years since that, that you've been here? Yes, I think, I think it's growing. Um, I think there's a different sense now than there was when I came about the importance of the arts in the life of a community. And uh, I mean, obviously, the, the city itself has grown and, and changed so much in this time. Uh, I wouldn't say that the arts necessarily keep pace with that, but they're definitely 
changing. I think the Dr. Phillips uh, for the performing arts mm-hmm. made a big change in the performing arts um, area uh, downtown, and I think that's also changed perceptions about philanthropy and about the importance of supporting the arts. Um, so I think there's so many, right now, there's so many exciting projects connected to museums that are growing, changing uh, buildings, expanding. So I think there's a collective sense that the our arts community is maturing. Yeah. And I think once we get a little bit farther down that road, it will attract even more people to our area. Yeah, that's great. Switching gears a little bit, um, you had a child attend Rollins. So you're, a, you know, as, as a parent of Rollins, of a Rollins student, how, how was that experience? Particularly, you know, obviously, you know, you can't answer that without combining it with as a, fa- a faculty and staff member too. So h- how was that overall for you? That was really great. Um, that was really a big, big surprise for us when our daughter decided to attend Rollins because we were convinced she would go back up north and uh, she decided to stay. And so it's been really interesting for me because for the first time I was looking at Rollins not just as a staff member and occasional faculty, but as a parent. So I saw different things about Rollins. And the best thing about the four years that Eliane was a student here was that they were extraordinary years for her. So Rollins really served her well. I saw my my child grow from you know, a high schooler <laughs> to an almost adult. And uh, she learned a lot. She flourished a lot. She was one of the students who really took advantage of all the extracurriculars that, yeah. that Rollins offered. And now she's in graduate school in London. So we are very That's proud fantastic. of her and I am very thankful. That's so great. Well, every time there was like an award ceremony, her senior year always felt like I heard the name Heller, 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 how I'm like, that's amazing. That's impressive. So, you, thank you. You did. You did good. What What else is there that that people should know about the museum? Um, anything else you want to share? Yes, um, I think, and I'm a little bit biased here, but I believe very, very firmly that contact with art, engagement with art, makes our lives better, and. My message to anybody who even contemplates coming to the museum is that you don't have to know about art to enjoy your visit to a museum. You don't have to know about art to be able to learn more about it. Um, Consider the Rollins Museum of Art, if it's your first time in a museum, consider it an introduction to this beautiful world of art and to the doors that it opens. Because it's not, it is about the art, obviously, but it's not just about the art. It's about opening doors to issues that confront all of us in our daily lives, to histories that we are all a part of or that our grandparents have told us at one point. Um, And and especially now, because there's just so much pain outside (laughs) and and unknown and and everything that we don't want to talk about right now, um, there's... There's, I don't want to use the word escapism, but there is a refuge that a place like a museum can offer. And uh, I think that that is being recognized more and more. I just read recently an article that in Belgium, doctors are prescribing visits to museums to people who are 
depressed and feel isolated because of the pandemic. Mm. And I think that is obviously very smart. That is very smart. Probably something worth exploring uh, between our institution and some of the uh, the healthcare providers in our community. So exactly. Stay tuned um, for that. Um, obviously, the Ronald Museum of Art is on social media and uh, has a great web presence. And to your point, you know, I've been in there a few times, and the staff is just so great. They sort of let you either go through it on your own, um, or they'll take time and gladly answer questions and provide insights that uh, you just never, at least that I would never have thought about. So uh, you and your team do an amazing job. Thank you. I, I do have two questions, final questions that I'd like to ask all Rollins guests. Um, do you have a favorite spot on campus that you like to get away? I mean, you're down at a pretty cool spot. So that <laughs> just going to your office and right outside your office on Lake Virginia is quite nice. But is that is that your place or, or is there other place on campus you go? Yeah, that 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 would be it. Going out behind the museum to either the little gazebo right on the point, or there's a bench looking out to the uh, to the lake. And when it's not too hot, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like to go there and sit during lunch or or just at some point and look at the lake. Yeah, um, it's just such an amazing. Um, I'll share with you when I first moved here. Also, kind of walking from the Rollins garage to the museum, you know, you walk along the the lake. And when I first moved here, I remember every morning I would stop on that little walkway by the by the lake and just look out onto the water and think, you know, now I would be in Grand Central Station <laughs> with about a million people getting off the train and running to the subway. This that's is right. so much better. That's right. That's probably at the Herbst Overlook. Exactly. That's was where he, it is. Was George Herbst here when you were here or no? No, I never got so, to meet so him. So George was a, a vice president of finance and CFO for the college uh, many years ago and was a true art lover. Yes. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, a true uh, art lover and a, a wonderful man and friend. But that's for another, that's for another day. So this one, I'm dying to hear your answer to. If you were president of Rollins for a day, <laughs> what would what would President Heller do in that role just for a day? Oh, just for a day. Yeah. So yeah, that's all we're going to give you. <laughs> well, can you can you enact lasting change? In Absolutely. One day? <laughs> sure. Right. Oh gosh. Uh, well, I mean, I I have to say, I I would I would make um, every student come to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And experience um, that part of campus. As you should. That's, as I should. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, uh, Anna Heller, uh, thank you so much for what you do at Rollins. Um, you're truly the best of the best in in your field, and Rollins is so lucky to have you in this role. So. Thanks for all that you do. Thank you so much. And thanks to uh, Angel, our third-year student here at Rollins, who's operating the board and serving as our marketing assistant for the show this entire year. Uh, be sure to mark your calendar uh, now for next week. Our next show, we will have uh, Winter Park Mayor Phil Anderson. And to keep updated on all of our shows and guests, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town and subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town on Apple Google, and Spotify. So with that, we thank Anna Heller, and we wish you all a great day.